I am thrilled to announce that Enactor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today is one of the few times I can say my guest needs no introduction. I have Jenna Malone on the show. She's such an amazing actress and has been in so many historical and monumental films, starting Young, Bastard Out of Carolina, Stepmom, Donnie Darko, The Hunger Games, too many to name, but we're here to talk about her new film, Antebellum. I have so much love for Jenna, and she's an artist through and through. And I just can't wait for you guys to see this film. It's mind-blowing. Here it is. Jenna Malone, welcome to An Actor Despairs. It is, I say this with the utmost sincerity, it is one of the greatest honors of my life to talk with you. I've looked up to you. I'm an actor. I really mean that as, like, I think we're very close in age. And, you know, kind of as I grew up, I grew up, like, kind of with you. You know, like starting with stepmom and then kind of just following your career from there for and like, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, it's yeah. a wild time right now, but it's so interesting. This sort of like feeling of setting up a Zoom talk, you know, where, you know, yeah, it's weird, die. right? No, no, but it's really cool because you're building. I like that it builds more of a ritual around getting ready to have like an intimate conversation, you know, yeah, like it's totally. like, it's different than just like stumbling into your friend at the grocery store and you're like all elbows and, you know, bags where you really like sit down. You're like, what do I need to like get to engage with someone, you know? And I think it's a really cool, I don't know. It's just reminding me of like, you know, acting, right. Being an actor. It's, it's about yeah. being rituals around embodiment techniques. Right. And totally. conversation is such, um, it's like this vessel of like ha- diving, right. We're like, yeah. you know, scuba divers. So I like, I like this. I like that there's certain really beautiful things coming out of this time, you know, yeah, like a slowing down and like, um, it's very revisionist, you know, everything's sort of crumbling and being rebuilt. So I don't I'm know. curious as an actress who's, you know, been in the business for 
probably a little like right over two decades and you've done so many junkets in preps. Um, has, has this been like this kind of new way of doing press? Has it been exhausting or has it kind of been like fun? Cause you don't have to do the lame answer the same question 500 times. And I'm, I'm, I've always been curious. Yeah. I mean, you still have to do that, you know? Yeah. Because like the press, I mean, it's so funny. Press is such a multifaceted kind of thing. So there's, there's these, which are really nice, which is like yeah. long format conversations, which I think yeah. actually, if given a choice, I would rather long format conversation um, yeah. than the five minute sort of regurgitation. Oh God. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It's a dark movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, Tons of blood. Talk about this character more than you've ever talked about it. Yeah. In the in even the putting on and the doing and you know it's very interesting. But I like I like it because you know junkets and stuff. You usually have to come to LA and live in a hotel room. Like it's yeah. like really like long hours and lots of travel. I like that this can be like in your office or in your backyard. I, I kind of you know? wonder if this will be the new norm or, you know, well, ma- maybe not. So I think because if you think about cost analysis, it's actually yeah. cheaper to be able to have everyone on Zoom. And if you're able to. And so I think what's going to be cool about this time is like certain things that actually are less expensive and more um, efficient to do yeah. digitally. We're going to be doing them digitally. Like there's no yeah. going back. Like I can't yeah. imagine wanting to put everyone, like fly everyone into a hotel room for like five days, you know? I, I, a friend of mine who was a model invited me to Fashion Week in Paris and like next to our hotel room in the Ritz was like Michael Fassbender doing press. And like that must be like, you know, like $3,000 a night just for press. It seems a bit bit excessive, but I guess, you know, for those movies, they they got the money. I mean, it's a but, corporation. They get, you know, yeah. they get deals it's it's all that stuff it's like why do why do you know why do people have those giant conferences and hotel rooms like you know so you grew up in nevada right i did i grew up in lake tahoe um oh was that amazing amazing yeah it was really cool for the imagination i think it was you know like i feel like I, i got an opportunity to just go and like play in the forest all day, you know? Yeah. Like and, and there's, and, and there's snowboarding there, right? Too. Or? Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. There's a lot of sports and stuff. Did you fall into those ath- kind of athletics, like alternative skateboarding, snowboarding? Um, it would be cool if I did. No, I don't know. I think I grew up kind of, um, without a lot of cash, like much more lower than like middle class. Yeah. Um, uh, so we, we never did anything on the slopes. We always just like built our own jumps in the backyard. Even better. And we did like hardcore slip and slide and like, some oh, really, love like, slip bad, and slide. Um, oops, um, some really bad snowboarding with just like old boards that we found like at thrift stores, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not good at it at all. And actually the idea of going down a giant mountain of ice is just not my thrill. You know. Same. I'm afraid of heights. Backyard, like the in- first time I tried, I, I crashed into a fence and I just like carried my way down and was like, guys, I think I'm going to go back to the, to the hotel room. <laughs> yeah. But well, so you're, you're, you know? your mother was an actress, right? She was. Yeah. She did a lot of community theater. So I was raised with two moms who were lovers. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. And then split when I was like 10, um, 
but yeah, it was a big family of like, you know, my two moms and my godmoms, three kids, and then me. Um, and they, you know, worked like two jobs and went to community theater and took care of us. So it was a very like... Wait, but both were actresses or just one? No, but um, my godmom, Deborah, she worked in... She would work behind the stage. Um, okay. A bunch of other things, yeah. Wow. And yeah. I'm curious, you know, because like, you know, as kids, we all kind of get embarrassed by our parents at times and like... The acting thing, what, you know, I feel like it goes one or two ways. You're like, mom, I, I don't want to go to your play. Like what, what, what invigorated you about those experiences? Do you, did you feel like, you know, it was just, it was something that you felt so attracted to the, the mechanisms of performance and playing a character or was that a gradual thing that kind of happened over time? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I started so young. So it's definitely like a very interesting thing to continually relook at, you know? Yeah. Because um, I think that initially when I was watching my mom on stage from like four years old until nine, basically, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like here was like my single mom who like worked yeah. jobs and like never really like, you know, put on makeup or had it together. And then I would like hang out underneath the piano. Um, cause she did a lot of musical theater cause she oh, has a wow. voice. Her name is Debbie Malone. So, and you got a lot of awesome bands as well. Yeah. That's yeah. I didn't really discover my voice until later. I think I was like, yeah, it's, it, but yes, music is really, it's actually a big part of our family. It's sweet. That's beautiful. But anyway, so I was watching under the piano and just for her to come on stage, I remember her doing Bye Bye Birdie. And oh, like where I played Conrad or I played one of the loser characters because I can't sing. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a great yeah. story, but I just remember being really transformed. I thought it was amazing that she had this job where she came out in this dress with this lipstick and was this other woman and was so... So you saw her as the character. You didn't see her as mom. That's amazing. Well, no, it was both. I saw her as my mom, but sort of being this like powerful, you know, strong woman that I had never seen her do before, you know? It, particularly in her economic like struggle of life, like there wasn't a lot of opportunities to afford her to like dress up and yeah. you know have like a time of like empowerment. So I think I kind of fell in love with it that way. And from a young age, I just knew. Like I came up with a list of five things <laughs> when I was five. I was like, can you say what they are, or is it yeah, too private? Um, write, teach, act, dance, sing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It maybe it wasn't in that order. Maybe it was teach. I really wanted to be a teacher. Like my sec, I loved my second and third grade teacher. So I uh-huh. was super into it. And when when you went to your mom and and told her you were interested in the performing arts, was she receptive to that? Or okay. I mean, also because I had sort of grown up as like the backstage was my babysitting area. Yeah. You know, like I was too young to come out. Like, but. My mom was working there all the time. So um, both of my moms were. So I, I just remember like all of the backstage, like um, particularly in theater, you know, where it's like yeah. props and it's like all yeah. the language of the magic of backstage. All the ropes of the things coming down. Yeah. I just thought the whole thing was so cool. Like I literally, I, it was like a fish in water where I was just Did like, you ever get to do a show with her? I did. I was like, you know, when I was 
a little bit older, I got to do like the background children and like Fiddler on the Roof. And, you know, oh, that's so radical. I love I, that. I think I was a flower in Bye Bye Birdie. I was like a oh. dance flower. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Multifaceted. Yeah. And then is, is it true you guys moved to Vegas and that's where you really got serious with it? Yeah, well, yeah, that was just kind of like babysitting environmental. Like I was just around it. And then when we moved to Vegas, I hated it. Um, just because from Tahoe. Vegas to sucks. Was like yeah. Nine years old and like didn't like it at all. And then, um, yeah, so I started looking in the newspaper for like what to do. Like I'm like, okay, like I need to do something here. Yeah, before the <laughs> internet. What was, what was that like? How did you find... Did they were there like ads for acting studios in Vegas? I was the uh, the the ads all the time. I loved the one ads as a child because it was particularly coming from so little. It was a place of like finding things for free, yeah. like you know, free sled, um, new job, uh, a description of a better apartment for us. I, it just held such opportunity constantly that I loved the newspaper for some yeah. for whatever reason. Um, but then I found this acting seminar that had been like, um, you know, advertised in the back of whatever, Las Vegas, blah, blah, blah. Um, and my mom took me and, you know, it was a big kind of fraud. It was like, you know, pay all this money. I I had the same experience. Whatever. I mean, that's not, that's, that would, that would have been sad only if that was my last point in the story. You know, it's actually kind of sweet that there's people that are just crazy in the beginning. And <laughs> so how did, how did you boo yourself and, and keep going after, you know, in, enduring a scam? Oh, but I, I mean, I was so young. It wasn't, a, it was just a lot of money for like ungreen classes and photos. Uh, you know, they got me a photo, but like, I didn't really need those class. Like it just was all very, but I got an audition from it, um, which was a student film at US- USC And I convinced my mom to drive out there to LA. Um, I booked the audition and then I then had to sort of be like, let's move out to LA for six months and see what happens. She was working as a temp secretary in Vegas. So it was an easy job to transition to LA. So I was like, let's just give it a year and see what happens. And we did. Um, and I just like, it was a, it's, it's one of those really beautiful stories that you really realize how much at the beginning of your journey, it is about the community of people because it's a lot of, um, circumstance. It's a lot of chance. It's a lot of luck. Um, I mean, it is a lot of the other things of like believing in it. It's the perfect storm of so many things that have to align. But you really need, particularly as a younger um, artist, you need a community of individuals that believe in you, right? So, yeah. like, from that short film, I met some manager on set, you know, who was like, oh, this, you're great, you know? Yeah. And from that got me another job to an agent. And I just feel like it was always people taking a second to, like, believe in me. Yeah. That kept opening up my door, opening up doors of opportunity, yeah. you know? And was your mother still like doing theater in LA? No, she stopped doing theater once we moved um, from Lake Tahoe. But she was supportive of of you yeah, pursuing. Super, I mean, she was amazed oh, that it that, that it was all working and like you yeah, know, and like I was making money and it was like a real it was a real hero story. I think also in particular because of the um, you know we were sort of poor white trash in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know? So like to be able to kind of have a tiny person 
rise out of that and like be able to like help their parents and like have a better place to stay and like help your brothers and sisters and making money in that way. It felt really important to succeed at it. You know, like I did feel like it was, um, I don't know. I had this weird thing, I think growing up in more of a chaotic environment where my rebellion um, was discipline. Like my rebellion was responsibility. Like I loved like, you know, searching in newspapers and building things and saving money and like, and game planning and thinking ahead. And I don't know. I love that. It's funny. Like such a funny No wonder you worked so young. I was like destroying things and. I know. It was like, I mean, some would consider that to be like growing up in chaos to be, full of trauma, but I find it to be really interesting to invite a certain level of chaos into a young yeah. adult life, because I think it, built, it, it, it provides the opportunity to build character early yeah. on. And I think when you're young, you have so much like greatness in you, you know? And I feel totally. like the more you're asked to like bring out that greatness, um, it's really cool. Like the more autonomy we give our, our young children or, you know, I think from seven, you know, maybe nine up, like something really magical happens to a child, yeah. the more responsibility you give them and the more you listen to them. Cause I think that's the question I always get asked is like, what, what was it like to be a child actor? <laughs> you yeah. know? And, um, I just feel like it was such a gift for me because as a child, I was given a voice yeah. Like my voice mattered in some way, you know, yeah. my thoughts on the character, my thoughts on which job to do, which auditions to take, yeah. which clothes to wear to an audition. I mean, I was being asked my input by adults that I respected yeah. so much that it just, I don't know. I think it's a really beautiful thing. And I see not a lot of kids get that opportunity, you know? And I, and I say this with the utmost sincerity and it's a reoccurring theme on this podcast is like, there's the difference between good acting and great acting and good acting. You know, I won't name names, but it's people who just make a living playing personality and great actors are people that make such distinct choices and no other actor or actress could have played that role. And you're a great actress. So I'm so curious getting started so young. How did you develop your confidence? You know, I I remember like I was eight and I couldn't even like talk to my kindergarten crush, like making these costume choices, going to auditions. Like where where did that confidence come from? Well, but that's what I'm saying is I think that being given the opportunity to have a voice is confidence building opportunities. So Uh. you may start at the beginning of the spectrum, like, deeply in fear, like shy, like words, you know, like at a certain, you know, um, but then you start getting asked it enough that you build a comfort level there to really start self, um, self analysis work, (laughs) which is an incredible gift to give to not only a young person, but someone that's trying to learn how to act. Um, or embody is that like the more questions you're being asked to be about like specifics, details of like character work and even just work for yourself. Like, who am I? Who am I in this space is so cool because we rarely ask young people those questions, you know? And I think for you, maybe you were like, you know, 
in this space, but you weren't get, being given enough um, confidence building exercises where it was okay to fail. Right. You know? I, I, I like speaking of chaos. I really relate to that because like I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict and I endured that in, in this bizarre counterintuitive way. I don't think I found my confidence till I got sober and yeah. like went on an eight year bender. And I, like, I'm not encouraging anyone listening to do that. But I felt like, you know, when I emerged 26 sober, I felt I was really sure of who I was. And I feel like to be a great actor, you have to not only have vast life experience, but, you know, to be kind of sure of who you are and your place in this world. So I'm curious to ask you, working with these early directors, were, were they respectful of you? Um. I think that directing a child is a discombobulating work for most directors. So I think it's a gift. Those that have it have the ability to do it well. It's like a gift, you know, but it's kind of a rare muscle. So I think that maybe um, I maybe had the hardest time working with directors when I was younger because they each had their own um, either insecurities or, um, just not enough experience working with child actors. So I felt like I would get into it by feeling like moderately, um, belittled or like I had to be, um, what was the thing where they would like give me rewards or treats if I did something well. Oh, so they treated you kind of belittlingly like a child. But I think that there was an energy I think a lot of people don't know how to talk to children. I think that's just normal. Totally. <laughs> you know, so I think yeah. that like, been given an environment where there's a hundred people on set that are all having to communicate with a child, you'll see there's like thoroughbreds and yeah. people that have really never done it before. So I think that that was maybe the biggest challenge I had as a child where really not knowing how to advocate for my process, but being um, in a space where I knew what I liked. I was like, I don't like it when you like, I don't need a reward. I want it to be a reward, you know? And I think that people started seeing that, you know, um, pretty early on. And they were like, they stopped doing that. But that was really interesting. Like no director does that with me anymore. You know? Yeah, of course. (laughs) To be like, we're going to get you a toy if you do this well. You'd be like, what? So looking back on like Bastard Out of Carolina and like Stepmom, were were those good experiences for you? Or was that kind of a, a weird time? Bastard, no, no. Bastard Out of Carolina was like Angelica Houston was incredible as a director. Yeah. And and, and, and Antebellum, you got to work with Jack Houston, you know? know. It's a a, well, Jack and I had met, yeah, through Angelica when we were both tiny. Oh, so you came up together. Yeah, we went to Disneyland a few t- like together, and I remember hanging out with him at his house, um, Angelica's place. But had sort of lost touch, you know. But we had met yeah. really tiny. No, and uh, um, so and the Bastard of Carolina was like maybe the fourth project I did or something. Um, yeah, I did like, but that that one got you a lot of attention, right? Yeah, because- I did like two student films and like a commercial or two. I think, yeah that's all I had done. And then, um, so it was my first real full length narrative besides the, the, um, student film and which was also a female director. So the first times I did like drama, 
narrative work as an actor was with female directors. And I think that it was actually extremely formative, formidable. Um, two of, of the best experiences I've ever had, actually. Um, totally. You know, so Angelica was amazing. I felt like she set a really great example of what it was to be a woman on set, how to talk to directors. I mean, she advocates so well for her process that... Yeah. It was like, I couldn't have gotten a better like teacher, you know? Yeah. Um, Do you feel like that was your film school, so to speak? Like that maybe, film? Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. Also working with so many people who were um, so incredible, you know, yeah. that it felt like, but you know, you're 10 or 11. And so you don't really think of that. I think it was more just like, it was like, wow, they know I'm a good actor. Like, yeah, you know, it felt nice to know that I was good and worthy and not just like cast to be cute. You know, I was cast. You're to great. Really think and feel and go deeply into something, which yeah. I don't know why, but that that's always been what I've wanted to do with acting. You know, I, I never wanted to do like, I remember when I was younger telling my mom, like, I don't want to ever go on a commercial audition again. Yeah. Like pretend. Hi. <laughs> I came out of this commercial audition. just crying. Like as like, I mean, I must've been 10 years old being like, mom, I don't want to ever do that again. I don't yeah. like going in there and pretending to be happy. It feels really awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's very not authentic. And it's, it's, not a, even it's, it's a stylized version of acting that I've just never mastered, you know? And I don't think, I think I'm a little too rock and roll for commercials, but yeah. You and know? Like, really the commercial audition space is such a specific audition space. Like, oh my God. Like it's and then they do the weird it. thing where they often ask you about you. Like, tell us an interesting story. Like, uh, I don't know. You know, yeah. I you just have to be. Yeah. They're not really asking yeah. character work. So know? then was it Chris Columbus who directed Stepmom? Yeah. How was that experience? Because like, you know, Home Alone was such a massive hit. And, and that came out before Stepmom, right? Home Alone did? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was like, I remember wanting to go to the second one, I think on my eighth birthday or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Classic Macaulay. And so w what was that experience like? Cause it's funny. Cause I, I knew Liam cause he was like one of the first people I met at NYU and, uh, but he yeah, went dark. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, how, did you have fun on that movie? You know, I mean, there's Susan Sarandon, Julia Roberts. It's like such a classic. And like also on a personal level, did you relate to that kind of, you know, to mother element. Right, yeah. yeah. I never thought about that, actually. That's so funny. Yeah. I probably thought about <laughs> this that. This is what I do, Jen. <laughs> um, you know, I love I mean, literally, Chris Columbus is the sweetest man in the universe. Like, getting to yeah. meet Susan and Julia and Ed Harris, it was like... I forgot about Ed Harris in yeah, that. It was pretty, it was pretty magical. I think I was in a space where I was, like, just about... I turned 13 on set. So I think yeah. I was in a little bit of my, like, starting to be like rebellious. Angsty. You know? Yeah, totally. I've been acting at that point. I mean, not very long, but you know, about to be acting for three years. Yeah. I had worked a lot and I felt like, um, that was actually with Chris and I've talked about this before where he would, he would do these sort of like, you know, moderately bribing things with me and Liam. Cause Liam was, Oh really? 
you know, um, well, you know, Liam was tiny. Yeah, he was like, and what, was six like, or three? Like, or... I just, like, look at him and roll my eyes and be like, ugh, like, I don't need chocolate if I'm going to I just want you to be like, you know, let's just make this movie great. Respect you know? me, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, or just like, let's just make a great film. Like, that's the yeah. reward. Like, you know. Um, but yeah, so that was interesting. And it was like really, you know, giant budget. It was the first time I worked at such a big budget. Yeah. And and it was a massive so, hit. So yeah. what was that like? Kind of like, I mean, I, I know you were known, but that probably set, set you out of, you know, a comment out of earth. Was that an overwhelming experience for you being so young and, and catching that fame? Um, I don't know. It's funny that at that time I felt like it was, it just felt so different than like when I was 16 with like, you know, saved and Donnie Darko, I felt like it wasn't as like discombobulating or something. I don't know. I've never, I don't think I've ever felt like it's been that overwhelming, but I think looking back, you know, 13, like having to do all these photo shoots. I don't know. I think I was just excited. Like I felt felt exciting and not too overwhelming because I was like still in school and, you know, working on projects. I feel like working a lot, you know, were you doing the homeschool on set or were you in a high school? Um, I sort of did it all. I started out when I moved to LA when I was 10, I was in public school and then I transitioned to homeschool, um, for seventh, eighth, uh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. But then I did those years and like yeah. a year and a half. Cause you just oh, go wow. fast with homeschool. Yeah. It's like, you're just like you finish, like it's crazy. Um, and then I went to a, a private school in New York that like catered to actors. It was called PCS professional children's school. Oh yeah. 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 And, um, that and LaGuardia are the like two biggest. I'm sure there's more now. Um, yeah, there was, there was a couple like, uh, performing arts schools. Um, but this one was specifically not about the curriculum of performing arts, but just catering to people that needed syllabuses because they yeah. were working. So there was like professional golfers and like dancers and, you know, it was pretty cool. Do you feel like you thrive well in that kind of syllabus oriented environment? Mm, no, I, yeah, I, me either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind it. I was, I've always been pretty good in school, but I only ended up going to one year of high school. I didn't really like the, I don't know. It just felt like a microchism of life. And I was already so deeply engaging in life, you know, yeah. my work that it just felt like I'd rather just get to the life part. Yeah. Education is- well, you know, when you're a child actor and when you're 16, you're like 30 at that point. So you're kind of over that. I'm curious though, after stepmom, I imagine you had a lot of choice in what you were going to do next. And I know you did saved in Donnie Darko. What, what started to attract you to scripts as you started to have leverage in what you were doing? I mean, I, <laughs> I think because I was very precocious or whatever, I was very picky even before I did anything like legit. Like I wow. feel like I was, I started being really picky right around bastard out of Carolina. Like, even before I got that, I remember just That's amazing. That I didn't want to go in for things because I didn't thought I didn't think that the story was any good, you know? Yeah. Like I remember she's like, I think you're my only client, you know, at that young age that was reading all of the script, you yeah. know? 
before making a choice on whether to go in on the audition. So I can't fully explain why I've been so like moderately stubborn or like overly opinionated in that, but um, it was allowed. So I feel like I've always been very picky, very like, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard me. It's hard to get me to do anything. Actually, my agent, <laughs> um, and it's not that I turn a lot down. It's just that, like, I really have to love something if I'm going to do it. You know, what comes and, first for you? Is it story? Is it director? Is it is it the plot? Is it character? Or is it an amalgamation of all the above? Yeah, I think that it used to be script, like the script, which is the story and the content. Yeah. That, um, but sometimes if it's an amazing script and the character's not as deeply, you know, flushed as you would like, you can still go in there and do detail work that's not in the script if you know that the grander story has a lot, a lot to work with. So I, I used to really just look at scripts and then I think I was, um, sort of had so many, uh, you know, disappointments in that where it's like, director didn't pull it off or it just didn't, you know, they had this thing. And I realized that very soon that it's really about the director yeah. and that the script is so secondary to what the director's vision is because it's, it's constantly being hopefully in someone's, um, you know, a director's mind revised and reinterpreted and allowing like energies to shift. And if they have a really beautiful vision, I think that they can sort of articulate the universe out of a hat, you know, like it doesn't matter. Um, but now I don't know. I'm more picky in a different way because I have a son, like, you know, it's like, do I remain away for six months? I want to, you know, so I think it's a little bit, um, yeah, I'm I'm definitely picking projects in a different way now. With, with something like Donnie Darko that kind of had this immense and continues to afterlife, while you were there, you know, and working with young Jake and Maggie and, and Richard Kelly, was that, was that a fun time or did you just have no idea how that was going to turn out? It was a super fun time. I mean, I was 16 hanging out with some of the funnest, you know, like youngest, like everyone was so interesting and you were bigger than Jake, you know, like you were the star. Not really. <laughs> yeah, really. You were. Yeah. Jake and Maggie weren't like that was that that was the thing that started him. That was his stepmom. <laughs> I mean, it's because I was cast first in that, actually, before Jake. I, I totally believe that. Yeah. Um and righteously and deservedly so. <laughs> <that's> so funny. <laughs> Thank you. Um I don't know. I just knew it was gonna be like something, you know, wild and fun. The first the I think it was like their like the welcoming party or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, it was at one of the producer's house and everyone just came over to like say hello. And like, literally I got so wasted because I was like 16 living on. <laughs> yeah. It's what you do. <laughs> and I was like way out of my league. Oh, you're playing um, beer pong. Yeah. Cause you know, they were uh, all in their twenties and having fun and creating an amazing film and working really hard. So I think yeah. the environment, like, the energy is to be able to have those releases of like gatherings and dinners. And um, so I knew it was going to be something really hilarious when I like, totally, <laughs> like I well, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Such a great film. Yeah. I'm curious then, like what, what about something I guess that you would say now is technically indie, although at the time it probably wasn't, you know, pitched as such, but like life is a house. What attracted you to that film? Um, life is a house. 
I don't know. I think that I had played so many uh, characters that were pushing into a lot of shadow work. Yeah. Like sort of dark and heavy that I think I was finally aware of wanting to explore something lighter, you know, and I think I was getting older. And so I was wondering what that sort of, you know, young romance, like on the shoulders of a 16 year old girl, you know, yeah. like I, I wanted to experiment with that. And it seems like the right opportunity to do that. Um, it was a really great script and Kevin Klein, is Kevin Klein, hating Christensen. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think it was great. And, and uh, what's, what's the pretty boy, Ian Summerholder, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. I like it too. I got, yeah. um, Erwin and I didn't, didn't, didn't find our, our running course with each other until nearly towards the end. So I had some, I had a lot of challenges as an actor on that. Yeah. But you nailed it. I think I have. It's so funny looking back. Like, I think I could be really hard on directors, you know, like I think because there's a certain level of like, when you have a lot of experience, you, you have like a built in advocacy for how things could be run that is beneficial for like the actors and the story. And I think that I get into a lot of like, um, you know, I'm definitely outspoken on set. I feel like, yeah, but you should be, you know, you know what you want and you know, what's right. It's just funny. Like, I feel like I've lessened so much now. It's like that I'm older. I think there's like a, maybe more graceful, but I was a really like rebellious, you know, I love that. That's amazing. Young, Young person. And then as, as those films came out, what started to attract you to projects? Like, you know, what, what, you know, I imagine at this point you had all the, all the choosiness in the world. Did you ever take time for, for Jenna and take a little bit of time off or was it, you know, pretty much work after work, you know, cause you mentioned before, you know, you had to provide because you, you came from nothing and you know, you felt an obligation to support and give back, which I have tremendous respect for what. Yeah. Um, what, what, I think that there's there's this like you were saying there's a line between like a great and a good actor which I don't know if I fully agree sometimes just because I think anyone can have a really beautiful honest moment on screen or on stage yes there's they don't caveats necessarily have to be actors it's just really how it's captured how it's embodied you know it's a very moment by moment work where someone can have a really interesting honest moment and sort of be completely unaware of it. But I love what you were saying, how the great actors really know, know themselves, right? They sort of, they're like, they've done, they've had, they have life experience. And I yeah. think for me, the caveat to that, to, to having life experience is to be very protective of um, when you're not having enough life experience. So I think that it's like this lens where I've been, you know, where you work a lot and your lens is really open and you have this beautiful wide perspective of the world. But sometimes when your lens shifts, yeah. so your perspective changes and you be, it's an even bigger perspective, you have to take time to kind of recalibrate as an actor to know how to then do approach that new lens of perspective, um, how to embody in that, you know? And so I think taking time off is a really important way to recalibrate and then also kind of like sit with new experiences. It's like how to yeah. change your lens, you know, cause sometimes I think when I was acting a lot, 
project to project to project, my, 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 my shift of the world hadn't changed. Yeah. I was still like here, which is really cool. That's where I was naturally supposed to be. But, um, I just noticed like I've quit acting maybe three times now. Um, because I, I'm aware that like, I'm not, um, I, I'm like either in need of like recalibrating or I'm in need of like feeding, you know? Yeah. So I had to take, like, I remember I, left acting um when i was 18 and i moved back up to lake tahoe i studied photography i like shaved oh, my head you know i was like, is that is that when you started to get into music as well yeah but that more like 21 but yeah so, yeah um but then i came back and then i left again when i was 24 and then i left again when i was 31 I, it's funny it's like this weird seven year cycle or something but it, it's really important to step away, you know. In, in that in that gap, you did doubt on Broadway, right? What was that experience like? You know, um, that was amazing. Was that your first Broadway experience? Yeah, my first wow. Broadway first first play. It was like first, you know, so many firsts. I had done like table readings, you know, and I had done those things when I was like four in community theater, but I had yeah. never. I had never studied theater. I had never. Who, who played the part, the Meryl and the Philip Seymour Hoffman parts in, in that production? Uh, Ron, um, Ron Eldard. Okay. Eileen Atkins. Wow. And yeah. and how was it changing mediums and, you know, having to fill a 3,000 seat house and, and do the projecting kind of more, you know, louder acting, you know, was that, yeah. was that a, was that a fun experience just kind of changing mediums like that or? I mean, it was super amazing. I think that it was just a lot of failure work, which actually it, it you know, like I don't have um, that thrill seeking of going down a mountain, right? Yeah. Ice, but I do have, I have a, like um, a want of the thrill of being kind of exposed in public in a way, yeah. like um, wanting to fail, try things, um you know, not knowing what you're doing, but kind of just trying. Like, I love yeah. that. Like, I do a lot of improvisation in my music. And I think it came a lot of those seeds of like, whoa, this is really dangerous, potent work um, yeah. came from doing doubt. And that was actually right around the time that I started improvising and singing and making really strange music was when I was in New York doing that play. Um, Were you going to like cool, like a uh, Bowery electric or any cool spots or, you know, Mercury lounge or, um, you know, what's funny is it wasn't music that I was turned on by, but it was the, it was the channeling of music. So I was like doing a lot of um, just freestyles and taxi cabs, like talking, talking to like drivers and like, Oh, that's awesome. On the streets. Like I, I almost thought I had like a form of singing Tourette's or something. Cause I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stop it, but I just wanted to keep experimenting. I love this idea of doing something that you don't know where you're going yeah. and you fail like 92% of the time, but that 8% that you succeed is the most blindingly beautiful 8% because it doesn't come from your like linear work. Yeah. You know, like this is what a scene is. This is what the story is. I'm going to draw this out. It comes from the like certainly whirling dervish of just throwing yourself into something. And that totally. for me is one of my, it's what I love about acting, but really I think theater helped me um, recalibrate that um, desire yeah. drill and almost be able to now channel it in a lot of other ways, you know? 
And and what was the, you know speaking of, of of it not working or not knowing how it was going to end up, you know, movies are kind of like that. What was it like having the live audience eight shows a week every night? You know, was I mean, that was that, sim- that that feedback? I think that's yeah. what it's like knowing that there's an audience and like it was the first time I had ever really engaged in working with an audience besides the sort of omnipresent film set, you know, which is a very different audience. You know, they're listening, but not listening, you know, they're purposely not giving you any feedback on whether it's hitting or not. Yeah. But for the first time as an actor to have that kind of drug like feedback of an audience, um, I mean, it's terrifying, but it's like super energizing, you know, but I'm just saying I failed because it was like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like I had to do this accent. Yeah. Working with like the greats. It was a lot of like me just learning on my feet and making. But you're one of the greats, Jenna. You are. You true. But I I think we can all be great and then, you know, horrible you know i oh of course we're you know we're delusional we don't know but that's what we that's the beauty of it being an actor i'm curious you know i know we're in a lull right now but you think you would ever do broadway again potentially definitely i mean broadway it doesn't have to be broadway but i do yeah like saint anne's warehouse or you know there's so many yeah. great theater opportunities in New York. I mean, I, it's funny. I had that experience. And then the only other experience on stage I had was doing Morning Becomes Electra with Scott Elliott at the new group. Um, off Broadway, oh, wow. Four and a half hours on stage. I played Electra or Lavinia. Um, it was the craziest, most like <laughs> daunting work. Of, I mean, four and a half hours on stage. Yeah. I, like one 20 minute break. And then the days where we did back-to-back performances, I was on stage for almost nine hours. Stamina-wise, how did you maintain that? You know, because no there's idea. so many theater actors listening. No idea. I mean, I was wow. so young and I was so inexperienced that it was a lot of just like sheer will and grit. Yeah. Um, but then eventually when that deteriorated, my... But also we didn't run very long. We, we were in rehearsals for a long time and then we opened and then got the worst um, reviews of our life and closed the day we opened, but had to continue playing out the seven days of subscription audience um, after we knew we had just closed. So we were yeah. like playing to a dead audience. Like it, we were like dead men walking. It was the literally the hardest, oh, most like I'm gut so sorry experience of my life <laughs> i actually had a complete was that one of the times you quit acting <laughs> um it was right i mean right after that i did um i think that's when i did sucker punch so yeah let's talk about sucker punch because now now we live in a time where everyone's like we need badass female characters that kick ass like Zack snyder did that in 2011 and for whatever reason it got you know didn't get received well, but it's an awesome movie and it's just cool. Like they inverted. I love that. They took what would be sexual scenes and made them just like violent, awesome fight scenes. You know, was that, was that fun to film? It was incredible. I mean, I think that, you know, you're given so many opportunities of um, alchemy as an actor where you're like, here, become a painter here. You know, now you have to investigate dentistry or now you're investigating heartbreak around, you know, the criminal justice system. Like you're given so many like invitations to alchemize your experience or, you know, people like become great painters after acting in a film where they had to paint because they discovered a new 
joy. Yeah. I think for me, it was the first time that I had ever been asked so much of as an actor. And have you, have you done the gun thing before? No, I mean, I did five months of training with Navy SEALs, martial artists, stunt coordinators. It shows. It was, it was the most, but also the production, you know, Zach really builds an environment of advocacy. Like he really believes like, if you're going to do this, we have to build you a support network to make you, to empower yourself. So it was a great experience working with him. Yeah. No other film has ever done that. The the amount of detail that he put into our training and support and interest and like really like I had never even been to the gym before. I was just like some <laughs> No way. I don't believe that. No, I was always yeah. just tiny and scrappy and like never yeah. I don't I never grew up doing sports. I never grew up I I'm physical but more like squirrel ninja physical where I'll like climb a wall or climb a tree or like fall down <laughs> like I'm not I'm not like a super physical person. So for them to ask that of me, to look inside and be like, I can do this. I feel like I broke down my body so intensely, like crying, vomiting in the gym, yeah. and keeping going, where I, I completely transformed. I, I had like a rack deadlift of 250. And then a... Holy shit. I did a deadlift of 130, 135. Yeah, 245. I'm a CrossFit guy, so cool. I know it well. I think... My rack deadlift. My rack deadlift was much more. I don't know. Anyways, it was a long time ago, but I like I was in I was in the best shape of my life. I'm curious, you know, when when people are fucking assholes and that and that came out and did you start channeling it into your music? Because like you started another band at that point, didn't you? Well, I don't think people are assholes when they want to um, tear apart a film. I think that is part of the language of democracy that everyone has. Sorry, I didn't mean to sound like an asshole. (laughs) I hold that space for you. I've felt those things, but I just think that we have to allow all of the world in if we're going to be able to tell stories of all of the world. Like, you know, it's just how much power that we give people's opinions is really what has to change. It's not that people can't just voice their opinions, but... You know, like, for example, with The Morning Becomes Electra, it's like one review killed the entire thing. Instead of allowing, like, more audiences to understand it and see it. And and then with Sucker Punch, there were so many really intense kind of attacking point of views. Um, Well, that 2011 is where I feel like the trolling era started, you know? Yes, but we also allowed it, you know? It's like we didn't, you know, it's like audiences were kind of hungry for that kind of language online in a way that we had never been before. And so I feel like it's also, we have to look at why we want that, you know, it's not just about the reviews. Cause some, I mean, for me, I don't even read reviews of films, you know, as as like an audience member. To to this day, you don't? I mean, I do. I'll read new reviews of like films I've done, but I don't read reviews of films I want to see. If that makes any sense, you know, I totally understand that. I'm the same way. I would never read a review before. It's like some other opinions. I don't watch trailers either. I think they just ruin the movie. I I like flying blind. We're at this point post sucker punch. Were you playing live shows? Um, yes, I had done two albums, um, just myself, gentleman and her bloodstains. And then I did, um, an album, with this band called The Shoe, which is me and my friend Lem J. We make music together. That's the mostly improvisational. Um, 
And then after Sucker Punch, when I took time off, that's when I did another record with him. Also, Carla Gugino is a very close friend. I love Carla. Yeah, she's the best. She did my show. She's awesome. Um, So then tell me for, you know, the viewers listening, where can they check out those records? Oh, um, the shoe stuff is just on any streaming format, but generally Spotify or weird. And I haven't fully released it, but I think there's some stuff on YouTube that you can find. Oh, I'm going to Google it right after this. (laughs) And then, so speaking of like, you know, big studio things, did you enjoy the hunger games? Like, was that a fun thing to be a part of? Yeah. I mean, I think that we get caught in the sort of um, consumer worth or something of a film, but I've noticed. Yeah. And also the IP, just so much corporation involvement. Yeah, I mean, Lionsgate yeah. is, is, you know, there's always. Oh, is that Lionsgate? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, right. I think so. That was Lionsgate. Um, I could be wrong. <laughs> so long ago. Antebellum's um, Lionsgate. So li- yeah. love to Lionsgate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like when you're in the thick of creating a story, yeah. um, it, you don't really know whether it's a big budget or a, a low budget until you go to the craft service. I mean, literally craft service is the only thing that really changes. Cause at the, in the heat of it, <laughs> a few people on set, yeah, doing their job, loving what they do deeply in it. And so yeah. a big budget thing like Hunger Games didn't really even feel like that. It was like Stepmom was a big budget, but it didn't feel, you know, I don't yeah. know. I've Until on- you went and they had Nobu, had craft service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like a salad, you know, like make yourself or, you know, new pasta people every day. Um no, Hunger Games was amazing. I mean, for me, I loved that character so much that... Yeah, it was a great character. I was just stoked to, like, get in there and play. And there's so many great actors. I, I had a great time. Yeah, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, that was the last... Or was the master... One of those were his last films, you know? His last. Yeah. But uh, talk to me about Neon Demon, because... Nicholas Winding Refn and Gaspar Noé are probably my two favorite directors because they make the movies they want to make and they don't apologize for doing. And your character and the story is so interesting. And I have a lot of friends, you know, that aren't bad people in the fashion world, but I know how that can make Hollywood look blue collar. And what was that like diving into that world? You know, because like it's lit so well, and I love Desmond Harrington and Abby, and it, it was just such an awesome story. What you know was that a fun shoot? Totally. I mean, I wanted to work with Nick before Neon Demon even came around, and when I heard that he was doing a story about young women in Hollywood, I I was like, okay, you have to sign me up. Like I was like trying to talk to my agent about it before there was even a script. Oh, so that was like one you were really advocating for. I mean, I do weirdo stuff where I'll find out a director that I want to work with is sort of kind of maybe going to do a project and I'll send audition tapes based on just what I think type of character would um, work in that environment. Like when Terrence Malick did the one Tree of Life. Yeah. Early on, there was reports that it was kind of about like Mary and Joseph and there were some biblical things. And so I was living in Lake Tahoe at the time and put myself on tape where I did like a voiceover and there was like this bathing ritual where I was imagining I was like 
you know, in biblical times as a woman, like sort of like dealing with the idea of like sin or repentance. And I did this whole like kind of piece and I didn't end up getting it, but he called me on the phone and was like, I've never had an actor ever send me anything like that. And that was the most beautiful thing. And then it's so funny. You're going to be in the next Terrence film. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever be. Yeah. I, I was like, no, you will. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call him after this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like, I like just like jumping on board, not waiting, yeah. waiting for people to tell me that I can audition. No, you're a hustler. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I think you have to write letters and you have to, seek out the type of directors that you want to have relationships with, you know, and really make those relationships matter. And so with Nick finding Refn, um, I walked into that audition with him and Elle, or I think that maybe I did one before Elle was in the room. Like it was mine. Like yeah. I was the one that had done like, this is, um, you know, my part. Yeah. Uh, it was cool. He's such a, you know, he's a very metaphysical filmmaker. And I say that with no like sarcasm whatsoever. It is literally like he wants you to get lost. He wants you to be in a trance. He wants you to sort of slow down and feel different types of feelings. And it's, he loves the nonlinear experience of storytelling. Um, yeah. so, you know, he'll be playing music. You'll do 50 takes. He, he's a Was fair- the blood overwhelming for you or. No, I had worked with blood before. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean that the, the most overwhelming experience was working in the morgue. That was a real. Yeah. Is, is it true? Yeah. That was an improv from you. Um, I mean, it was written to a degree, Well, I knew like what to do, but it was written like three sentences, you know? So he kind of allowed me to build the shape of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. It was so, it was just haunting is I think the best adjective I can come up with. <laughs> yeah. But it was amazing. And, and you were so great in that. And then, you know, I, I I I could talk to you for hours, and I, I don't want to take up your whole day. But Sorry. let's let's move into Antebellum. What we're here to talk about? How did that come your way? I mean, talk about acts of depravity. Um, it's it, it came it, very traditionally. I read the script, um, loved it, and randomly because I wasn't living in LA at the time. I was in LA. It's and- fascinating how apt it is for right now. It's like. They almost predicted everything that was going to happen and wrote a script. But, you know, they're just brilliant writers and directors. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what gives me hope is when I constantly and I think that even if we both like looked at certain films coming out, really speaking to a time, I think that there is such incredible catharsis in um, storytelling, you know, and when you can sort of open up that channel as a writer or a director or an actor of like embodying something that you know is important, but it's not culturally as like needed yet. But then the witnessing, you know, it's like, this was made exactly. (laughs) Even though the black lives matter movement has been around for, you know, what, nine years. I mean, yeah, I think 2010, actually, it's, it's crazy. It's got a longer history than people think, but also you know, like the civil rights movement anyways, it's just like, you know, stop dehumanizing black bodies, we, but just stop, you know, it's been 400 years. Um, sim- but- similar to neon demon. Was that a, a really intense shoot, especially for your character having to go there? Um, yeah, it was, but it felt 
like the risk sort of was outweighed by the responsibility. Like oddly, yeah. I felt like more like the neon demon sort of depravity acts um, felt da- more dangerous to me because I didn't, but also like kind of more removed. Like it felt yeah. like I was definitely like this person was this other person, you know, totally. like, I don't think totally. I had the, capacity to not other her sometimes whereas i think an antebellum i refused to other my character um by saying oh white supremacy lives over here and yeah. actually it's just this extremist group like way over here like i feel like it was the first time ever with acting that i like wanted to actually invite my grandmother into the room like my wow. great grandmother like my great great grandfather like it i felt like it was a weird like ancestral work of like yeah. you know like i love you ladies and gentlemen not that i even know that my grandmother was yeah. an orphan but it's more just sort of that like um you know metaphysical work of talking to your ancestors or whatever which i've never done in that way yeah and it felt important. I was like, listen, I love you guys, but I have to have some really hard conversations with you. Like, there's some shit that you guys have done. Like, and yeah. I need to understand what happened for me to be able to, um, you know, alchemize the trauma of that and to sort of change it and shift it even within my own DNA. So I don't know. I feel like Antebellum was this weird. I felt like I was channeling not even my grandmother, but sort of like, everyone's grandmother of yeah. America, you know? Were they able to open up to you and be honest and reflect yeah. or? I think yeah. that there was a lot of spaces that were, how do you allow such depravity as you, you are taught. It's a double hand sword where you're taught yeah. it. And also it's like you, witness it's not innate. Receive it. Yeah, yeah. You witness and receive that. So it's like this weird witnessing work of like, staying quiet, not saying anything. But then also when you receive that, you know, when, when, when you receive that kind of self-hatred yeah. and that lack of respect of others, like how that really, you know, adds such a delusion to how you want to love and how you want to give energy to the world. So I don't know. It, how was it working with Jack and then Jan- Janelle Monet? Was it, was that a fun experience being reunited with your childhood friend and, you know, working with Janelle Monet, who's an amazing musician as well. Yeah. Janelle's incredible. Um, Janelle was that incredible. final shot yeah. is so good. I mean, it's amazing. It's like such yeah. a throw popcorn at the screen kind yeah. of, thing. you know, it felt like it, 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 it just blows your head back. And all of a sudden you're in like a deep blockbuster again, you know, yeah. it like goes so deep. And then like, you're like finally allowed to like, be uh jubilant in some way you know after such crazy shit but no jack is amazing we didn't actually work together that much in the film so yeah i guess you guys didn't have that many scenes together um but janelle was but you were amazing and you nailed that accent i'm from richmond virginia so i know that accent well (laughs) it's a real real thing it's funny because i just went down to see you know they've been taking down the statues and the robert e lee one is the only one that remains and they painted glorious Black Lives Matter and tributes to it. And just that, sh- uh, spoiler alert, the, that shot of the, you know, Robert know. E. Lee statue. What happens yeah. with that statue in the film? Yeah. yeah. But final few questions, because I don't want to take up your whole day. Um, oh, no. What, what, what is keeping you inspired right now as, as a mother, as an artist, you know? 
Um, I don't know. I, I think like I can't, I mean, I think just being a mother is, it's like, it depletes you so much that it makes you have to build in sort of like life vests of inspiration. Like you have to be able to put something on to sort of stay afloat because their energy just like demands such, um, you know, when you become a parent, it's like every act is revolutionary. You know, even yeah. if I'm like teaching him how to eat a watermelon, where watermelons come from, is it in season? Why do we, you know, like uh, buy things from Latin America when we could be yeah. making them here? I mean, it's every single discussion is so full of revolution that it's almost yeah. like discombobulating and a little bit heavy, particularly in, in these times. But I think that I'm finding a lot of cre like creation and creativity and inspiration in really um like the seed sort of decolonizing my imagination really like looking at things differently like even when certain words hold um like you know the polar bear plunge right yeah have you done it no yes but i'm just saying (laughs) that word right yeah it's very like when I imagine it in my head, it's so whitewashed. Yeah. Right. Like I imagine these white people jumping in the thing and like, that's how deeply we need to change um, and sort of break every bubble of delusion. Yeah. Um, and so like, I'm finding it really creative to be like, Oh, okay. Can I think of something else? Is it authentic? Oh, it's not authentic. Now let me do research to see like indigenous tribes jumping in cold waters and let me see other, you know, how can I break that down? And then you invite the whole universe in and instantly it's like inspiring and creative work. And yeah. so that kind of work has been really inspiring to me. I love that. And for those actors listening, you know, that are, you know, in this pandemic and and are feeling despondent and a little bit down and out, any words of advice that you might give them, you know, that are trying to just get their start, not, you know, not, not book Hunger Games, but just get started in even community theater, you know, yeah. any words of wisdom? Well, I don't, I mean, it's such a hard time right now. No one's working. It's a really hard time to even think of yourself as an actor. But I mean, always what I say is the most important work that you'll do as an actor is the work that you don't get paid for. It's it's your, uh, it's your humanity. It's your recalibration of your perspectives. It's your embodiment work. It's living your life. It's constantly um, examining uh, relationships around you. It's doing like self um, analysis. It's, yeah it's reading it's it's a lot of that type of like um consumption that uh makes you um it doesn't even make you but it provides much more space to play in yeah and and i think that like as an actor you want as much space to play as possible you know you don't want to keep dancing in the same little corner you have to keep looking you know like expanding your lens and being like taking in more and more of the house and the room and now the subway and more and more of the city and the only way you can do that is through living it right actually living it and so i think you can call yourself an actor whether you're working or not i think that's the first i love that yeah Um, because it's just an embodiment technique. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be chosen. You don't have to be directed. You don't have to even have a resume to say that you're an actor. It's really like, it's a space that we 
step into, you know, yeah, yeah, totally gives us this, like we have to sort of own it and control it and like, you know, learn it. So yeah, I, I think that now is a really good time for just this sort of, um, like recalibration. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And what's going on with your music in any, any future? I've been making much music. Yeah. different way but maybe some something someday soon (laughs) okay well jenna malone i have so much love for you and this conversation was one of my favorites i think i'll be in la soon so let's grab a cup of coffee in pasadena (laughs) six feet apart and uh i'll help we'll we'll write a song and and freestyle together (laughs) but i got so much love for you thank you for coming on and i'm sending you and your and your son so much love okay you yeah stay safe out there all right you too much love if you like the show rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts thank you for listening 